1: It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P.
0: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Hello and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear those stories, including the Williams F1 team's planning director, Richard Jones. Ryan Right now on your chosen podcast player. Also, bookings are still available for the Motormouth charity karting event with places on August the 10th still on general sale. Enter your team of four to an endurance race and compete with and against a host of motorsport celebs or pro drivers who will be drawn at random to be on your team. Gates open at 12.30 and close at 6pm. For all the information and to see who you could be up against, head to motormouthkartrace.com. We'll see you there and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumour. It's season 8 and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula 1. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport and let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula 1 this year we are all over it and the brilliant news is you can now return trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code Motor mouth when checking out online. So, what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 Experiences. Get booking today at F1Experiences.com.
1: Hello, everyone. Tim Sylvie here. Now, today's guest was born in County Durham before spending his formative years in Wales, but Did you know that County Durham is the very place where Britain's tallest man was born, standing a remarkable seven feet seven inches. He went on to play... Mag the Great in the TV series Game of Thrones. Never seen it, so I couldn't tell you who that is. Sadly, he died in February 2007, but it is also home to English mustard, which came into existence when, in the early 1900s, Mrs. Clemens decided to grind up mustard seeds in order to get more flavor out of them. She developed a paste from the process that quickly became popular all over the UK, and after being passed down to her daughter, the family business was eventually sold to the Coleman's of Norwich. I bet you didn't know that, Harry Benjamin.
0: I did not imagine being that person to uh, discover mustard. Yeah. Like that's kind, of, that's kind of I mean, I imagine she made quite a lot of money from that, but it's kind of mad, isn't it? Do you like mustard? No, I hate it. Really? <laughs> I mean, I would never go out of my way to have it. Have it, but sometimes it, it can end up in a sandwich. But I, I would never. I would never go out of my way to Damn, have it in in my, in my diet. Oh, I love a bit of mustard. Um, what have you been up to? What's new? Um, well, I just got back from Hungary. Doing some more GT racing, which is fun, um, and Euro F3 stuff. And yep. then I got a puppy on the way back. Aww. So uh, <laughs> so I've got a new puppy. And well, my dad's got a puppy, uh, more accurately <laughs> yeah. to say. Um, but I'm, of course, surrounding it and looking after it um, while it's in its infancy. <laughs> nice. um, so, yeah, wish, and he's adorable and, um, and pisses on the floor. But, yes. hey. Got to make use of it. Absolutely. Well, uh, shall I introduce
1: today's guest? I think so. So today we're joined by another of the MB Partners stable run by Mark Blundell in the form of Jan Mardenbrä, whose career really took off in 2011 when he won Nissan PlayStation's GT Academy competition when they went on to compete in British GT, the massively competitive Blancpain GT Endurance Cup, the Mon 24 Hours, Formula 3, GP2, Super GT, Super Formula, Formula E, a sim and development driver... Jan Mardenborough, welcome to the Motormouth Podcast.
0: Hello guys. Hi Tim. Hi Harry. Hi Jan. Very warm welcome to you. Great to have you on the show. Thanks for coming on. Where are you at the moment? You're in your garden. You've got a nice blue sky in the background. You're
2: in the UK. Yeah, I'm in uh in my hometown, uh well, in Wales. Not my hometown, but I've lived in my my life. And uh, yeah, just in the garden because it's uh and uh, it's sunny for once.
0: Very nice. Uh, looks uh, very relaxing. Looks like on holiday. But um now for the uh, now for the important stuff though. Now your route, as Tim alluded to, uh, to tomatoes motors- <coughs> is not typical. Oh well, joined by a very special guest. <laughs> <It> <laughs> That's not your whose dog
2: is that? Is that is your that dog? <coughs> yeah, it's my dog. Uh, Heidi. <laughs> Shh. Heidi, down. Come
0: here. What kind of dog is it?
2: <laughs> it's a um she's a goldador. A Goldador? Uh, yeah, so mixed between a Labrador and a Golden Retriever. And she's, she, well, she's about seven months now. Oh, wow. Where she's at, yeah, she's at the age where it's... Well, she's not a puppy anymore, but she's still... She's still, yeah, very much yeah one. one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Well, I'm sure we're here for Friday throughout the show. But your route into, um, into
0: motorsport, as Tim alluded to, it was not typical, really, uh, compared to the other guests that we've had on our show, you know, who came up through uh, the, sort of the traditional karting uh, system. You had a very different approach and a very different break when it came to your career. And we will come on to that soon, of course, first. Um, but take us back to your much younger years, before all that, was, was motorsport and racing always a bit of a, a thing for you? When did it sort of first hit you and go, actually, yeah, I kind of want to get into this racing world?
2: Uh, nine years old. Um, so cars were my first interest in anything as a, as a kid. Um, so, I don't know, like age four, Matchbox cars and stuff. And then I think around like age nine, um, right, age nine, age eight um kind of motorsport on tv and racing games kind of came at the same time so I was playing uh Gran Turismo and Colin McRae and at the same time watching British touring cars um and then ever since then uh, it was like oh wow I would love to do that that was I watched it all the time every time it was on on the weekend I was watching British touring cars uh so that era so yeah so from that early age it was like yeah i want to i want to be able to do that when i'm when i'm older
1: and and you're essentially regarded as the original gamer to racer um beating ninety thousand other people to win the gt academy in 2011 which was run by nissan and gran turismo when you entered that competition were you thinking i've got a chance here or or was it just i'm going to do this for fun see what happens could you um, could you imagine what was going to happen afterwards
2: it was secondary of your, of your point there it was like just to see how far I can go so um, at the time I was on a gap year from uni, it was like an unplanned time off and then it was like okay, uh, I'm just going to see how far I can go with this and um, it was only up until that, like the last event uh, of the final at Silverstone where I thought okay, now I've got a chance but before that it was like okay, things are going well I'm just going to keep going, see what's happening and I'm actually alright Um And then it just kind of happened, Um, but it was—I was a completely like one of those racehorses where it's just completely blinkered. It was weird. It was a weird situation and a weird vibe I was in. Um, It was like, I don't care what happens externally. It's just like, whatever I'm doing now, that is 100% focus. And it's it's a very strange time. It's funny as well,
1: because now it's, it's kind of not unusual for someone to maybe be a star in gaming and then make the move across to real racing or, you know, gaming is very much at the forefront at the moment. But I suppose in 2011, it was pretty unusual. And this was one of the first times it had ever been done. Did you have any idea how big this was all going to become, this whole esports industry, especially related to uh, sim racing?
2: No, I didn't. Um, I knew of esports from uh, around that time of 11 because uh, my friends used to play like World of Warcraft and League of Legends, that kind of stuff. It never interested me at all, but I knew from conversations with them there was always like big events going on in Korea where people are earning like uh, half a million dollar prize funds and stuff, which I thought was mad. But I never thought I didn't have the vision that this could kind of at that time anyway in 2011 where it could kind of uh, get to the point where it is now, uh, where it's huge now. Um, especially when you bring YouTubers into it, um, where yeah, as you say, it's not so unusual to see guys that come from gaming uh, make it. Well, t- try their hand anyway in um, in motorsport. So uh, one example is Ginny Broadband. Like he's now in Prague in Brick Car. Whereas uh, it's not normal, but it's like it's more of it happening. Whereas in 2011, to have a, a major manufacturer like Nissan and Sony, just imagine the health and safety checklist that they'd have to go through. Yeah, you know, oh, let's go put a gamer in a car just to see what happens. Uh, it it was very out there.
0: Yeah. Well, clearly for you though it it paid off. But I'm also curious because it was you know 2011, and we talk, we see the games now, and I think the F1 2021 is about to be released, and it's so realistic. You can you can have proper huge setups where you know if you're if you're obviously full on, you can have you know full rigs, and you really get the sense of the full feeling of what a real car is like. But back then, was the technology there enough for you for that? transition for you to make from gaming to real life racing or you know was it still very you know compared to now i imagine it can't have been as realistic or maybe it was
2: um obviously the technology is better now um the rig that i have at home now is infinitely better than the one i had at the time um but i yeah the technology was there because i i did it um, and there's people that have done it before around the same time as well so uh, and you make the best of what you've got. Um, certainly I didn't I didn't have a PC at the time. It was just Gran Turismo five and my Fanatec wheel that I had. Um and I didn't do any karting or anything like that. So what I learned um how to drive and how to race, how to racecraft and all that was just on that. So yeah, it's certainly possible. But um now the technology <sighs> It's not, it's, I don't think it's like linear the way that the technology gets better and that in turn it becomes easier to make the transition. I don't think it's like a linear, okay, um, yeah. uh, it's not linear. I think there is, there is a point where it gets better and better and better to a point because you, you don't, it, fundamentally, you don't have the, uh, you know, the, the, the vibration mm. um, through your backside. You don't, have that. So until that happens um I don't think it gets any easier having better technology, better software and better simulators, better okay. wheels, better pedals. It helps, but it it's not it's not linear. And and
0: actually just just off on that as well. Do you think that we've spoken about this before I think with um uh, it might be Rob Smedley who was Felipe mass's F1 engineer and he's now starting this sort of electric go-karting um, uh, Scheme for for young for young obviously races. Do you ever think that people who can't because obviously karting is so expensive now. You know the whole junior ladder is, it's always been expensive. But it just goes up and up each year. It seems. Do you think that actually there's a it could become a viable route actually where young racers who want to go karting can't afford it actually turn to esports and at least in the early days of their career and try and build up almost you know that what comes with with that in terms of the social following and the presence and then actually with all these opportunities that are now on the rise with esports do you think that's a viable alternative to starting out in karts at 4 years old
2: I think it is a viable alternative but I don't believe that it can completely replace karting because being in a cart in that environment where you are competing with other people and the, the, the brutalness and the, it's very, um, a violent sport, um, especially in karting. and to have like other people around you and, and you're in a race, it's mm. different So you you can't replace it completely. I mean, certainly, as you said, if you build up a following, a huge uh, social media, because that's needed now, um, for your image, your brand, and then you decide to jump into, I don't know, a a junior level of motorsports, certainly that helps, but you should not disregard karting. I would recommend you just, not recommend, but... um, Include carton. Yeah. Include carton uh, because you learn so much. So much. I don't think you can, if there's someone who's young and they just do kart let's say, Formula 3 or Formula 4 car compared to the person that is, is amazing at sim and then when an F3 car, the guy that does karting is going to still be quitting the car that's just jumped in the F Formula 3 car by just using doing the sim. When I think back now, I, I'm surprised how, uh, not easy, but it was kind of seamless jumping into the like a 370s, a GT4 car and just rag, not ragging it, but getting up to its limit fairly quickly. I was surprised about that. Um, I certainly think being uh, young helped as well because I was 19, um, just turned 20. So I had no fear um, at all. No self-preservation, well, little self-preservation. And just had an eagerness just to learn and impress as well and just improve myself. Um, So those early races, they went great, apart from one incident in Zandvoort, which uh, my... Mechanics at the time at RGN would never, ever let me forget about it. And certainly Bob never would never let me forget either. Um, up until that point, that was just before, a few races before Dubai. Um, it was it was smooth. Um, and uh, I was improving. And But I was always aware that it could end at any moment. Um, my mentors as well, uh, Rob and Christian, were always telling me, look, it could end tomorrow. You know, for whatever reason, this hand could pull the plug. So I, it was like I was, again, like a horse, blinkered horse. It's like I need to improve and show these guys that uh, I'm worthy of this seat, of this potential. Because I didn't know what's going to happen after Dubai. That was meant to be at your prize. Done there. Mm. Bye bye. Nice to meet you, ciao. Uh, <laughs> have but, have uh, a good life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I, in, back then, I didn't think about. I didn't think about what could happen after Dubai because I was. I didn't want to because it was scary because it's like I didn't want it to stop. Um, but fortunately, I can't remember if it was before. I think it was after Dubai. At the after, at the after party uh, that we had that uh, I got told uh, that next year is, um, well, the following year is okay. But we can't tell you yet what was uh, what was going to happen. And that, yeah, that was sick. It was, it was awesome, yeah. really awesome. Having that backing of Nissan, just it was all about just
0: getting more and more track time, basically, for you to, to continue your improvement.
2: Yeah. So, twenty twelve was uh, looking back now it was even more special than I realised at the time because that was the first year that Nissan um, introduced the new GT three car, the GTR, and uh, our car that we were running was the first in Europe. So that car was the only car running in Europe at the time. So we were doing British GT and a few rounds of the Blanc Pan Endurance. So I think we did Monza, Nürburgring, Spa, and uh, I think maybe one, 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 one other one. Um, but just to be driving that car, so a step up into GT3, and it was the first car in Europe. I mean, it was so cool, Uh I think we might have we got yeah we definitely had the first podium in Europe of that car. I don't know about if overall cuz I think it maybe got a podium in Japan before us. Oh, for, sorry first win. But um yeah it was it was a dope championship. Um British GT was was great. We were fighting up until the last um the last round for the for the championship of, with Alex Buncombe. Um and then in Blancpain we were a bit more unlucky cuz the car had a bit more issue, it was just teething issues so at Spa, the car broke down very early on at Spa, which is the most, you know when you do a 24 hour race, and especially before it gets dark, and then you you break down or something happens, and then you go back to your hotel and all the cars are still running, it's the most sad thing in the world, man, (laughs) like, it sucks (laughs) Um, but yeah um, yeah, overall, yeah, yeah, it was a great year, it was really good fun um, especially in that car, um, because it it was new and it was still had its development. Um, wasn't quite well developed to to where it is now anyway. Um, but it was, it was still known as like being an absolute missile down the streets, Mm -hmm. like in other, other areas where it wasn't so strong, it was good on the brakes, but downforce wise, it wasn't great. traction was terrible. It was so, had so much turbo lag as well. Um, But on the straights, it was like it was a weapon, absolute weapon. It was like almost embarrassing how quick that early GTR was in GT3.
0: Amazing! I mean, what an experience as well, and it's always a pleasure to welcome Tim back to oh, the podcast. I,
1: this, it's what, it's what my my Wi-Fi historically has been absolutely bang on. Yeah, and and today it's not. So good luck editing this one, Harry. In, I know. Um, it's going to be a fun one. But where are we up to? Twenty thirteen. So yeah, do you want to talk about Le Mans? Let's do Le Mans. So twenty thirteen, you compete in Le Mans, one of the greatest races on the planet and you achieved third in uh, lmp2 it's a crazy race how did you find dealing with such a prolonged period of racing day and night all the emotions and tiredness that goes along with it how did you find
2: it And um, the the most difficult part of the whole weekend was the the build up to it because it's you arrive there for the test day which is like a week before and then you're still at le mans for the whole week after um and the build-up starts on, like, a, I think the Tuesday. And you're doing everything every single day. The first few days, of you're doing nothing Tuesday, Wednesday. Then it starts ramping up very quickly. And if you don't plan your sleep or your time and your energy, by the time it comes race day, you're already fucked. Like, I was fucked for race day. Like, it, there was so much going on. It was, are oh, you the, the first gamer or oh, second gamer at Le Mans and all this stuff. And it was like, oh, there's so much going on. And then in the race... Um, it was, my, I think, my second 24-hour race. Second or th- third 24-hour race. Um, and, uh, yeah, it happened to be Le Mans. And, uh, I took the start, which wasn't planned because uh, our great engineer, Ricardo de Villa, uh, God bless you, Saul, he, um, he made a bit of an error. So in Le Mans back then, whoever set the fastest time in qualifying has to start the race. And... Uh, in qualifying, my original run didn't go to plan because I got traffic or whatever, the usual excuses. Then <laughs> I think Lucas or, uh, or Michael Crumbs did the qualifying and then went quicker. And then they decided to put me in at the end, in the night qualifying. Nobody really goes quicker in the night quality because it's in the dark. Then I managed to go quicker and they didn't expect that. So they cocked up because they were like, look, this, the guy, the gamer guy, he's going to be starting the race at the mark <laughs> because he did <laughs> he set the fastest time of the car. <laughs> I was gassed. I was like, yo, I'm starting to race at Le Mans. It was mega, yeah. So you, that everybody else was flapping. I was like, this is calm. Um, <laughs> this is going to be good fun.
1: Did you get any, um, or, or not just at Le Mans, but throughout your, your career, have you ever had people being like, who does this guy think he is? He plays a computer game. He comes in here,
2: thinks he can race. Have you experienced any of that? Yeah, my first ever weekend at Pembury in uh, the Welsh... Welsh Classic Sports and Saloon Car Championship I think it's called oh right um, it's like a, a club level race where I had you know you get your signatures the first few races I was in a in a 370Z and there was the last year's champion basically came up to me and he was like oh I've, I've, I've heard of this because of the previous winners coming down and doing the same race the year before and he put his hand on my shoulder and he goes if you see me in your mirrors don't oh, fight me just let me go what and like I was I, I was like yo <laughs> fuck you. Like, there's, no <laughs> yeah, way. Yeah. Yes. there's no way. There's no way. And uh, yeah, I ended up beating him. Beating him. But that's the only time I've experienced it to my face. I don't know, behind the scenes, I have no idea, but that was the only time I've ever experienced it to my face. Um, yeah, it was funny. It was it was good. Time. I still remember it vividly. It was, it was, it was Name, shame.
1: Name and shame.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> from, the, from the Welsh days. What a, what a,
2: Twat but yeah. <laughs> <that way around laughs> in my head I was like, yeah, you are something else.
0: Oh no, yeah,
2: well, I think you right I awesome. think you probably showed him uh,
0: enough that you're probably pretty decent as a as a real racing, real world racing driver, And enough so that obviously you're racing in GTs with a with a roof over your head. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience. Experience of the pinnacle of motorsport official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets first class hotels and transfers and unprecedented access including track tours pit lane walks VIP hospitality and loads more it really is the closest you can get to Formula 1 and thanks to F1 experiences you can return to the track this year and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 experiences package by using the code Motormouth when booking online at f1experiences.com. And then comes the move the following year to single-seaters and you're now sort of, you find yourself in GP3, what is now Formula 3, um, and you take a win in only your eighth star, I think it was, at the Hockenheim ring in in the sprint race. That, That must have been Again, crazy because you know, you're looking back at the last three years thinking, God, I've gone from playing a video game backed by Nissan to being a Nissan driver with a roof on my head racing endurance racing, and now I'm only a couple of rungs below Formula One. What is happening?
2: Yeah, it was, um, it was, I didn't expect to take the single seat roof at all, it was only, um, when. The conversation happened where Alex Buncombe's dad, Jonathan Buncombe, had a conversation with some of the guys at the BRDC to say, Jan looks like he should be in single-seaters. And then that kind of went to Darren Cox, who runs the GT Academy program. And then he was like, huh, maybe we should put him in F3 or try him in an F2 car. Then it was F3. And then the GP3 came came about. I didn't expect it um, to happen at all because, you know, Nissan is in GT cars, not formula cars Hmm. Um, but I'm so grateful it happened because you're you're learning uh, development as a driver increases so much um, with cars with proper downforce Um, so I'm a much more rounded faster driver um, taking both routes if I was to do it again and Darren and all the guys at GT Academy know this as well you would change you do the opposite you'd put them in single seats first and then put them in in yeah. gt because i was the guy to tr- first trial this out and because of the gt experience that i've driven especially in the gt3 gtr where it's not the most elegant way to drive that car jumping in an f3 car where it's all so delicate it took me ages to change the mind of uh the driving style it took me a long time um so yeah if we ever did it again it would be like look single seat first and then you could do the gts as well yeah. like yeah. I'm on the side. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah.
1: It's uh cool experience. It, it, yeah, it's definitely the it's a bit arse about face isn't it I think the, the only other, another person that jumps to mind who's who's done it uh, the same way is Jamie Chadwick because she obviously started out in GTs and made the switch to um, British F3 it was hard for her it took her a long time to get to grips with it um, mm. so yeah I totally agree it, it should be the other way around and then just skipping forward a little bit um, it's funny we talked about this program with um, one of our previous guests very recently the, the slightly doomed Nissan LMP1 program Um <laughs> we know a few people that have taken part in it and you know mixed sort of reports on it really some like you know well it was a bit of a experimental exercise um could have been fantastic wasn't but you know it was great thing to be a part of how do you look back at that that
2: interesting time with that very unique car it's an environment which uh if i was ever in a situation like that again you would early you would know quicker if it's going to plan or not <laughs> fundamentally the car was not given enough time and uh, that that is due to uh, well political internal political things which uh, is ever the the bane of uh, of, of, of sport um, and, and life I guess um, but it wasn't given enough time. If that car had another year development um, it would have been a lot different yeah. the thing that really killed the car off was the moment where I mean, I can name people now because, like, it 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 was the, that is fact. That's what happened. So there was this company, um, who I think Torotac, Torota, can't remember exactly. But anyway, they <coughs> produced uh, these flywheels, um, which is what the LMP1 car had on the front of its gearbox, which was meant to be our 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 hybrid. So that was used to slow down the car. So um, it was all designed when we hit the brake, when we lift off, that thing would. I'm not technically, can't remember exactly exactly how it happened, but that was our brakes of the car. The main, like over 50%, probably even more than that, the brakes of the car. Then the energy stored up in that flywheel would then be deployed to the rear wheel. So before we all drive in testing, about two months before, some time closer to Le Mans, maybe three months before. This company, we were testing it on the car. Mark Janay was testing it, and it wasn't working And this company were like, oh, well, it works on our buses. And the problem was uh, the G-Force in the corners, the pumps that they designed couldn't scavenge enough oil for it to work all the time. So Jene breaking into a corner. He's at Sebring. He was breaking into a corner, and it would turn off. Right. So like, it was the it was the bulk of the braking. So he's mid, mid-brake zone, and the thing decides to shut off. He goes off the track. Like how can you drive a race car where suddenly your braking zone is extended by 15 15 meters because the thing decides to shut off? At that moment, the project was pretty much doomed if it wasn't given another year because um, you can't design a car that was originally designed with this flywheel and then it not be there. Uh, So you have to redesign the brakes, Mm. uh, which which didn't stop up until the Le Mans test day. We were still trying different brake material on the Le Mans test day. Our pit lane was the end of the pit lane. And you know how long the Le Mans pit lane is. Our car was coming through the pit lane and the brakes were still glowing in daylight by the time they got to the end of the pit lane. Yeah, That's, that's how much of an issue that we had. So it all stemmed to this hybrid not working because the team was lied to by this company that they said it was going to work on the car and it wasn't working so at that point it was it was doomed so it needed another year of of, uh, of development um and that didn't happen because of other reasons uh that i don't know exactly um but it's it's a shame really because the guys behind it uh they were real uh visionaries some of the design um, elements of that LMP1 car uh, are still being used to this day now with the other teams. So, uh, I mean, if you stood at the back of that car, you could see directly from um, to the front of it, it had these two huge uh, channels either side of the tub. Um, the bonnet, for example, was very long. And the reason for that is to have a, a more forward uh, center of aero Um Center of air pressure, so the car generated uh, much more uh, front downforce um, with that slight design. Uh, the, even the rear, the rear clamshell, um, some design cues are still look very similar to say, the Toyota um, a few years ago. Um, so yeah, it, like, the engine was was amazing. It was very very strong. That engine, um, but yeah, it was just a shame that it was. Yeah. Killed before it was. Uh, it was. It was like a stillborn. That's a pretty crude way to put it. But it was. Um, yeah, it was. It
0: yeah, did like that. I think we, we spoke to Harry Harry Tinknor who said you know obviously he was quite involved in, in that project as well. He said you know oh, it's just just a case of what could have been. You know it could have really mm. been something special. And just to be a part of it was it was a privilege, I suppose. At the same time, working on something so different and so new, which just unfortunately didn't didn't quite have the outcome that you were wanted.
2: Yeah, I mean, just the experience of being involved in that team—you um, learn so much. There was so many things that were different of that car. Um, the obvious being front wheel drive, but you, uh, how to work through problems as well, because there was many. Um, that, that experience is invaluable. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, it's a real shame it didn't work out. Like you say, there some good people involved, so um, real pity. But then after that, you made a very big move all the way to the other side of the world. You went to Japan. How did this come about? Obviously, it's got to be Nissan Connected. And importantly, do you speak Japanese? <laughs>
2: uh, so, yes, I speak a little bit of Japanese. I'm studying at home now. Um oh, wow. Through, very admirable. Yeah, because uh, I have goals to get back out. Well, it is the goal to get back out there. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, it's not, don't get me, don't take it the wrong way. Like, it's very small, but I'm a, yeah yeah, I'm working towards it and and Japan going out there was um because of what happened in 15 with Le Mans Nissan in Europe was pretty much well the 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 situation wasn't good um so the 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 racing um the money that was in putting into Nissan Europe for the European racing was uh was, was drying up so um GT Academy at the time they were like uh look, we think you should uh, go and race in Japan, move to Japan. Because uh, Europe, if you want to make a career, to getting into GP2 again, finding that money to do that, yeah. it's, it looks unlikely. Um, whereas if you go into their back, Japanese backyard and um, work your way up the ladder again, you can have a career over there. And um, you know, I'm still... I I, I love Nissan and uh, you know I want to to, I've always watched Super GT as well I've watched that in the past I was like this is a cool championship so the goal was okay yeah I would like a GT500 seat but in Japan they don't care where you come from what your credentials are bar outside bar F1 if you're an F1 driver you're God in any championship you walk straight in and you get a seat a lot of the time um, but if you're you know I've uh, been great in Europe and other parts of the world doesn't matter in Japan like you start at ground zero you start in Formula 3 Yeah. you start working your way up through GT300 and then if then you have an audition and then you can maybe get a GT500 seat and be a factory driver Um. and I like that because it's uh, you got to prove to them like who you your name Yeah. and uh, so yeah I literally went back a step so I've done GP I did one race GP2 so I'm I wouldn't say I was in GP2, but I did GP3. Uh, certainly it was, it's a higher level than G- F3. But they were like, okay, we want you to do F3 for a year. Um, and then GT3 in the Super GT Championship as well. So I was doing two championships in 16. Uh, almost won F3. Um I'm leaving it out like because I'm going to say some stuff which I'll probably regret later on. But um, that <laughs> oh. was that was really... Ooh, that it, was, it was awesome. Yeah, no, but, uh, but it was ja- awesome.
1: Japanese F3 is not to be sniffed at. I mean, it, in fact, the whole Japanese system is is pretty impressive. Mm. I mean, you've you got... And, and they make people... They put them on a pedestal out there. Like Andre Lotterer, when he was racing out there, was like... He was, yeah. god, he was godly. You know, people absolutely loved him. Uh, Marcus Ericsson's come from there. Nick Cassidy, it was a proving ground for him. As a young guy called Strewmore... Oh, Michael Schumacher, way back when. Yeah. And Ralph Schumacher. They both did Japanese. Uh, the formula didn't they good knowledge Um, Struan Moore who um, still races a little bit um, and uh, he he was out there doing um, Japanese F3 and he did. He did pretty well, not not amazingly well, but the, the Japanese fans adored him, like loved him. They were little more dolls. It was it was insane. Um, it's it's a good championship out there, and you can make forge a very good career for yourself. And you like you say, you did very well Japanese F three with twelve uh, podiums, four wins. Um, did you enjoy it out there? Do you enjoy the culture, the lifestyle, the the way they go about their
2: racing? I love it out there. I love the championship. Uh, I think Super GT is uh, the best run championship I've ever been in. Um, yeah, the the culture is uh, is very different to Western style. But uh, once you get once you learn the the rules and also the unwritten rules, you can get by and uh, uh, integrate yourself into the into their culture and understand how things work over there. Um, and it's true. Like if you do well over there you are treated very well. They're, uh, they're loyal to you. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm very, I want to go back out there. I want to, I would love to spend my whole career in Japan. Wow. Very um, wow. similar over there in Super Duty. Yeah, I love it. It's, uh, ever since, there's, there's been three places I, ever, I wanted to go to as a kid. It was uh, America, Dubai, and uh, Tokyo. just Tokyo just because of watching films and uh, to be able to race in all three um, and then to race in, in Japan all over Japan yeah, it's, it's the best place. My favorite place on earth is, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful country. that country. Yeah,
0: it's, What it's amazing. Place, I, I just wanted to, to pick up though as well. Obviously, you've got GT blood running through your veins, but you've also done Super Formula, which a lot of people might be familiar with is sort of the, the top, top level of single seat racing in um, Japan. You know, almost like the Formula One, but in Japan. What was that like as well? But clearly, is, is that not where your your focuses are driven either? Because I, I suppose, are they on an equal in terms of Super Formula and Super GT, or is one above the other?
2: Um, no, it's seen. It's like um, I guess LMP, LMP one to Formula One. It's like it's it's yeah. completely separate tiers. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, a lot of the guys that do Super GT are also racing in uh, Super Formula. Okay. A lot, a lot of the Honda guys and the Toyota, because obviously in Super Formula the engines are Honda and Toyota. Unfortunately, Nissan doesn't have an engine in Super Formula. They used to way back, um, but now they they don't. So uh, a lot of the guys that do, yeah, GT are doing that championship as well. Um, doing Super Formula what was was a again a massive privilege. Those cars are insane. i remember even doing Formula Three and uh, Super Formula used to race sometimes on the same weekend, so our races were finished before the Super Formula main event, and you just go on the grid just to see these cars, and they're just fat tires, massive low rear wing, they look like the cars, the F1 cars from like 2007, you know, just wide, aggressive looking things, um, yeah, it's they got so much downforce. Um, doing, it, you know, you learn a lot, and that championship was, uh, for me, it was a tough year. There were some real good races where I had a lot of speed but uh, if I was to do it again uh, you know the little, that championship is all about the little tiny nuance things you do behind the scenes and knowing what I know now it would be completely different so just to give you a little example uh, and this is my also my fault because I'm a person from a western country in their country and I didn't at the time speak Good Japanese. So my engineer was, was Japanese. His English was non existent. So I was talking to my engineer through my teammate in Super GT, Kazuki Hashino, who knew English, who then translates to my engineer. And then my engineer would tell Kazuki in Japanese something, and then he would translate it to me. <laughs> um, oh, so we would, would do that in the race. And of course, that's never going to be the most ideal situation. Yeah. But uh, yeah. again, that's not, um, that's not fault of them at all. But knowing that if I was going into a championship like that again, knowing if that was the same situation, it'd be like, no, look, we need to do something different. Mm. Um, but it was cool. It was a cool experience. It was, uh, yeah, unfortunately one year, but I got Paul at Suzuka on my last ever race. And, um, which is
1: nice. Um, I, I, I just wonder whether in that process of translating um, from teammate to um, engineer, to teammate, back down again, whether anything was t- lost in
2: translation, you know, the, the odd thing not passed through that perhaps should have been. Yeah, there was probably some things that were not quite exactly how I meant them to be uh, said. Yeah. But uh, if it was anything, you know, you know, bad, no, that wouldn't have happened because the guy that was translating because you know, he's like one of my best mates he's like the most like top three teammates i've ever had and uh yeah he always he always uh, got my back i've always got his yeah top top man
1: good stuff good stuff well listen there's um there's plenty of other bits we can talk about but in the interest of time we're going to skip ahead to our final three and we ask these questions to everybody that comes on the show
2: I want to, uh, you know, I said I was learning some Japanese. You asked the question, I haven't learned any Japanese. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I have a lot. I can say some stuff or so. Okay, let me just say. Watashi uh, wa Yan need you, Niju Shusai desu. Racer desu. Yoroshiko So that's basically, I am Jan Marma. I'm 29 years old. I'm a racer. Uh, pleased to meet you. Oh. Wow. Oh, that's good. star. What the, what does that mean? That means that that actually means something. I can't, I can't
1: remember. I can't remember what. I got a, I've got a Japanese mate, Taka, who uh um, He 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 moshi moshi. Isn't that when you pick up the phone you go uh moshi moshi? Um I know a little
0: bit and some mo, 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 mo. Moshi moshi. Moshi moshi. Moshi. Yeah. Moshi How um how did how do you learn it? Are you like is Duolingo or is it like was something a bit more advanced than that
2: or what's how are you learning Japanese? Um at home and there's a uh a similar to Duolingo, I think. It's called italki. Okay. Italki. And uh, they have uh, online tutors. So, I mean, the last lesson I had was about five weeks ago. Um, but I was talking to a Japanese lady. Oh, cool. She no. fluent okay. in English and German. And uh, we'd have like a uh, an hour lesson uh, just to... Uh, it just
0: has a syllabus, so it sounds uh that's what, I mean, I'm kind of jealous. My I tried to learn French earlier at the start uh, of lockdown and hey I think we. I did one duolingo lesson and never went back. So I don't have the determination. Uh, but it's very embarrassing when you go to another country and you just can't speak. It's terrible. But Japanese it's probably quite integral, especially with the with the engineer side of things as well. You've got otherwise you're gonna you're gonna be missing out on things, aren't you? Mm. Uh, Jan, look, uh, it's, I mean, it's been absolutely fascinating getting to know you and getting to know a bit, a bit more about you as well. And there's, there is stuff, as Tim alluded to, that we've sort of skipped over. It. But in the interest of time, we do have our final three questions, which, as Tim has said, we ask to all of our guests. It's just nice to see the, uh, the variation in answer. So, uh, Tim, do you want to kick off? Yes, indeed.
1: Um, Jan, what has you excited at this very moment, apart from investing in new Wi-Fi? Bitcoin
0: yes Ooh.
1: oh oh no. now we can talk we can talk right <laughs> oh no, yeah right. okay okay yeah, 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 yeah. I
2: can talk Bitcoin for hours you know <laughs> okay what,
1: what, what you got so I, I I'm I'm in I've got um, ethereum and a little bit of Litecoin and a minuscule piece of Bitcoin like 0.0027 Bitcoin um, which at the moment is tanking like' it's, my, my my whole portfolio is has completely fallen through the floor so
2: what, mm. what are you into
1: Uh
2: just bitcoin um i have a little splattering of like one percent in other but uh, that's just a little speculative thing that the majority of it, every 99 is it's just in bitcoin um but uh and the reason it, i've been in, in this for like oh, five years now um and it's uh, i understand it and why it's created and the reason why it's doing what it's doing currently um, my other interest in, uh, apart from racing photography is, uh, financial, uh, mm. uh well, economy, um, oh, how wow. things work. And, um, yeah, like it's, uh, without sounding too tinfoil hat conspiracy theorist, crazy person, it's pretty much rigged against you. You can't save your way to having a say generational wealth, um, unless you have many investments you yeah. know, or, or land or housing or property and, and stuff. Whereas, um, yeah, Bitcoin. It's you trust code, yeah, and it's uh, immutable. So yeah, um, it's uh, it's an interesting yeah. subject. So it's
1: it's one that I'm I'm relatively deep into in terms of knowledge, not in terms of the amount of Bitcoin or or, or crypto that I own. But I find the whole subject fascinating, and I've recently got into um, non fungible tokens. And, mm. and fan tokens, which have found their way into into motorsport, um, mm. with with McLaren and others, um, it's it's a hugely fascinating subject. I can feel a Bitcoin special with Jan Mardenborough coming on. Um, yeah,
0: I'm keen. That that would be dope. I'm all yeah, over it. I tell, I, actually on, on that I had a proper discussion with about this with Jordan King the other week as well Ooh, yeah so he he's got he's got a bit of Bitcoin and a bit of all these other stuff going on so I think we could probably get a few people together and have a good old uh, a good chat about it yeah, be who's, awesome. who's invested in what so uh, we're we're, slow, we're building up a list now so we've got Jan Jordan King we'll find a few more and then we'll get you all together but
1: it's literally <laughs> one of those things that you can you would happily get together and just talk about. Because it's such an interesting subject, so uh, genuinely mean it. Well, actually, we've got. Our, I did. I don't know if the guys at MB Partners spoke to you about the tenth of August, Jan. We've got our karting day. If not, we'll talk about it offline. Um, but that that's that could be our opportunity to natter about Bitcoin. <laughs> um, okay, good. I, I like that answer. We've not had that on before. Harry, over to you for question number two.
0: Yes, question number two, Jan. If not doing what you're doing, which was being a pro racing
2: driver, what
0: would you be doing? What would you have done?
2: Um, I would be most likely designing furniture for <laughs> uh, for DFS or something like that. <laughs> I was not expecting yeah. that. Um Wow. Yeah, it was it was when I went to uni in twenty ten. Oh, sorry, when I reapplied to university in the year of GT Academy twenty eleven, I was accepted on a, a furniture design course. Um so yeah, it was that it was probably along those lines like it's scary how uh, how it, i'm not doing that because oh. uh it sounds shit <laughs>
0: <laughs> well at dfs there's always a deal on isn't there for those so uh <laughs> so, don't know how they make any money wow <laughs> how crazy is it how how one one small thing can change the outcome of, yeah. of what your 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 path in in life is is quite incredible isn't it yeah. um Tim, you've got the last one, haven't you? I do indeed. Uh, what are you scared of? Losing my speed. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Nice. Is that? Is, can that happen? Like, is that something racing drivers that, that can happen to a racing driver? Is that something that can actually feasibly happen? I suppose it's getting older, isn't it?
2: Yeah. It. It's. Well. It is. Yeah. Um. It's. Uh. I. I you. You can see it with some drivers. Let's say battle. He is not uh, the same guy he you know, was five years ago. Hmm. He's just not. Um, he's, he's. I think he's still maybe lost a little bit of his speed, but the, the racecraft is like it's gone, man. Like it's not there. Like the amount of times he's spun in the last three years. Yeah. That there's not. It's not how he's not how he was before. I mean, there's a video on YouTube which I watched when I first started racing, and I've just remembered it because it's amazing, that it, he's racing Hamilton when they're in F3, you're F3, and at this German track, Laus, 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 Ring. I can't say it. Ring. That's it. Yeah. And it's, the half the track, here, most it's mostly wet, but there's some, uh, some dry patches, but it's a mostly wet track. And it's just, Vettel and Hamilton for like four laps, just yeah. overtaking each other, side by side. And, like, you see that Vettel back then when he was, like, I don't know, 16, 17. and you compare it now, like, it's so different. So, yeah, that scares me. I have do as much as I can not to, to stop that from happening, you know. Training, hand-bike coordination stuff, uh, sim, karting, mm. just being in the seat of a racing car. Yeah. Um, it's still my, my only folk passion is, yeah. is racing, you know, professional driver, so
1: excellent well that's three excellent answers um, and uh, particularly like your bitcoin one Um, but Jan it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you Um, we obviously wish you all the best for the future hope to see you uh, back in Japan racing out there Um, if anyone wants to follow Jan you can do so on his socials Yan the man Um, his website jantheman.com and Jan's blog which is definitely worth a read I've started having a a little nose into that some good stuff appearing there Um, so So, um, Jan, best of luck with the future. Hopefully see you at our karting day. If not, we'll see you in a paddock soon. Thanks for joining us on the
2: Motormouth podcast. Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Harry.
0: Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel programme of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first-class hotels, travel and exclusive behind-the-scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend, F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to F1Experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore, Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official and Facebook, just search MOTORMOUTH. You can also download the MOTORMOUTH app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy we're also proud to be supporting the brain tumor charity too so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker don't forget to like subscribe and review and until next time you've been listening to the Motormouth podcast planning for your next trip